The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Information about mystical reality comes to you from most amazing sources. You just have to be open to it. And our guest today is especially open to it, and I'm looking forward to talking to her. Uh, welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is our return guest, Janice Goff, a friend of ours who's been on NDE Radio uh, several times now in the past. She's an, a gifted experiencer with a talent for photographing apparitions not usually seen by others. Janice, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. Good morning. Good morning. It's a lot earlier out there than in Arizona than it is here in Maine. Yes, it is, and warmer too, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it's it's really close to freezing. Last night it was it was really cold out there. Um, Janice, uh, I thought we might start off. You had told me um, a, a little bit about the this uh, Inuit elder that uh, gave you some insight into the, our climate change. Perhaps you could tell the folks about that. Okay. Start with that. Um, at the Eagle Conquistador conference, I was telling some someone that the sun was not coming through my windows like it had previously. And one of the Inuit elders was passing by and said, "Well, the sun no longer rises where it used to rise." And these are people that um, the popu- the whole population relies on the placement of the moon and, and the sun for their survival. And, you know, as they live in total darkness part of the year, so they're real attuned to the sun, the moon, the stars, and all those things. Um, but they're saying that the stars and the moon and the sun are in different places in the sky, and this is going to affect the temperatures. So... Uh, what he was that, let's see, what else was he telling me? That their ice holes, the sun no longer shines on their ice holes in the same place historically. So they can't predict the weather anymore. They're having to learn everything brand new all over again. So they have said that the polars have already shifted. The polar shift began in 08 and now it to the point that they literally cannot tell what next year is going to bring. And this year, they have to learn it all over again and have placement for their ice holes and the different things that they use for survival. Now, these Inuit elders wrote NASA and asked for an audience with them to explain to them what this actually means with the ice uh, caps melting and all of the stuff. And the land masses are closer together now because of the ice melting and the um, polar bears are beginning to encroach into the community areas uh, in massive numbers. So, um, you know, for your listeners that are uh, interested in the polar shift, you know, this is what there's, this is what those people that live by this 
every day are saying that the polar shifts have already begun and that it's not going to be a cataclysmic uh, twist of the gyroscope of the Earth. It's happening, it's happening slowly and naturally. Um, so anyway, you know, your listeners that are interested in that may be, you know, may want to do a little more research into that. It's very possible too. I would think that the change in the in the poles would uh, have an impact on bird migrations and other cycles like that, where uh, the magnetism of the Earth is being affected. Perhaps the uh, there are animals that uh, that make their make their migrations according to those uh, vibrations that they can sense. I would absolutely think so. We've known for a long time that the magnetic north has been moving. You know, our compasses aren't reading exactly like they used to anymore. Um, mm. So we've known as a general public that magnetic north has changed. Um, it just makes sense to me that all of the... Um, Technology that we have has been, you know, has documented that that this polar shift is happening. So, why haven't we heard about it already? <laughs> you know, exactly. It's one, the, it's one of these other things that they're keeping from us for whatever reason they do that. And well, it could it it could even have larger effects ultimately. Uh, I would think in terms of earthquakes and volcanoes. Exactly. And all of the severe weather that we're having, Texas, you know, all over the world now, we're having so many different earth changes happening. So um, I, I kind of am interested as well in this change happening to what it does to our psyche. You know, hmm. our anxieties, our thinking processes, the whole thing. We're all connected to... to you know, the earth balance and the magnetics and the grids and all that, um, not just energetically, but as we simply walk on the earth every day. So um, you had mentioned that, you know, possibly this could be a reason for a lot of things that we're thinking and feeling, but we don't have any reason, you know, to attribute to it. We, we don't mm-hmm. have any, any information to say, oh, well, maybe that's what it is, so that we can at least do a little more research, because they're not telling us. No, that's true. Well, Janice, uh, I did want to get on to uh, this amazing person that uh, came into your life a long time ago when you were, well, I shouldn't say a long time ago when you were a young girl, because it hasn't been that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Well, and, that- that was in the you know the late 80s and early in well through the in the late 80s to the mid early 90s. Mm-hmm. So it, it hasn't been too terribly long ago. Quite oftenly, we we all run into <clears throat> amazing people. And uh, after we talked about that, I called an old friend and I asked her, "What do you remember that I mentioned to you from back in that time?" you know, about my friend. And she said, well, I remember that you you always laughed about someone saying he, he was 
had to have been hit in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and as it turns out, <laughs> um, Merlin and what a what a classic name, Merlin. Um, I know. I I think in I think head. in your introduction <laughs> I called him um, uh, not uh, not on the air but in in the little write up I called him. Father Merlin, because I thought it, he was a religious person, and and it just seemed to fit somehow. <laughs> oh yes, I think if Merlin would have been in the right church, he would be a saint. So <laughs> many people sought him out for his um, uh, connection to God, and the uh, it's kind of like he had a hotline. <laughs> you know? And mm. there are a few people we meet that are like that. Um, so actually what, what transpired was that when Merlin was a young boy, he actually was hit in the head. There was a, an accident with the horse and he was unconscious for, uh, I think they said like four days, three or four or five days. Mm. And, um, so did Merlin have a near death experience during that time? I, we, we won't know unless some of the other family members that may still be living have documented that. Um, Merlin died and uh, passed away and left his body in 2010. So he was in his 90s during that time. Um, one of the amazing things that happened during my life in the area that he lived, um, and I actually lived in Rapid City and he was in Wyoming, um, was that his wife continued to get sick and he would haul her to the hospital and she would go into, you know, a catatonic state. Merlin would do a blessing on her and she would get well and he'd take her home <laughs> that same day. And mm. this happened repeatedly. Um, one of the last times, it was four, this had happened like four times, he was in Rapid City doing some shopping and farm shopping and stuff, and his daughter called her, called him and said, you know, Mom's in the hospital. I had to take her over there. It's, it's bad, Dad. You need to come. And the doctors don't think she's going to live, you know, through the day. So he raced over there. Um, immediately did a blessing on her, and she's up. They're getting her dressed and <laughs> ready to go home. The doctors pounced in there and, you know, just marched in there and said, Merlin, you've got to stop healing her. We'll never find out what's wrong with her as long as you keep doing this. <laughs> so it was like... Uh. Let's like hear it for Western medicine. Their... <laughs> it's right. They were more concerned with, you know, what they were doing instead of her state and what she was doing and what what was happening, you know, at her level. So, <laughs> oh, shoot. And then, um, let me see, it must have been um, 92 or 93, somewhere in that time frame, Merlin called me and said, can you come? The most amazing thing has happened. Well, I said, of course I can I can come, and I made preparations to 
you know, make the trip over. And um, I got over there and found out that Lillian had left her body. She had died. And the most amazing thing had happened. She had this massive, um, very old Christmas cactus that was over, my goodness, the thing was probably three feet wide. It was huge. It had never, ever bloomed in all these years. When I walked in and went in, into the front door of his log cabin, this whole cactus was totally, heavily bloomed. Every leaf had a bloom on it. It was raspberry red. It was the most amazing sight to behold. It was, it was not only just gorgeous, it was phenomenal. This cactus had never, ever bloomed. And here Lillian left her body and this cactus comes into full bloom. And that cactus was her baby. That was, that was hers. And that was like, uh, she only had one child in her life. And this cactus she pampered and watched over all these years. So um, it was a real icon how, um, uh, you know, you can, you can make things like this mean anything you want it to mean. And, um, but when you look at the history of the plant and Lillian's interaction with this plant and knowing that there was no reason all these decades that it had never bloomed and here it is in full full bloom and it continued to stay in full bloom for years <laughs> it was it was wow. just, <laughs> it was just uncanny you know how how this happened so um and there were just so so many amazing things um merlin during his day was also a uh, hunter a trapper and a guide and he um, had uh, many people that came from all over to use his services in the uh, Bear Lodge Mountains, uh, the Cook Lake area, just all these areas that were uh, remote and you really needed somebody that knew, you know, where they were. Well, these hunters one year came and they uh, wanted to go to an area that was extremely remote in the Bear Lodge Mountains, and Merlin told them, you know, I can take y'all up there and drop you off, but I've never been there, and I don't know that area, and they're saying, no, you know, just take us, and we'll figure it out after we get there. We've got our topos and whatever, um, and he's saying, they're not going to do you any good in that in that area. It's too, it's too remote, and it's too massively, heavily wooded. Um, they went in, and during that time, they had a snowstorm, a massive total out, whiteout snowstorm. And the guys are fumbling around. They're all scared. They're, they're tr- they can hardly see each other. They, they've tied themselves to ropes, to trees, <laughs> so that they wouldn't get lost. Um they were nowhere around the vehicle. It, you know, they had hiked in for hours and hours. So, one of the guys said, 
okay, I'm going this way. I'm going to see if I can find the car. And Merlin said, well, you go that way if you want to. I'm going this way. And he's saying, but you don't know this area. You've already said that. How do you know where you're going? He said, I'm I'm following a light that you can't see. And y'all can follow him, you can follow me, or you can stay here. And so, thankfully, they all did follow Merlin out, and he took them right to the vehicle. Um, he was always doing something uh, very extraordinary that was uh, not sensational to him. It was a way of life, and but very sensational to everybody else that was involved. He did many, many blessings uh, on babies. These children that uh, Merlin gave uh, birth blessings to grew up to be just amazing, incredible people. Their life, I am quite sure, was much easier with the journey that they had to face uh, than it would have been. But they, they, and and he's done hundreds and hundreds of blessings. So Merlin was. Um, Merlin was somebody that was tapped in a little differently, and was it because of a near-death experience, and he came back with this incredible gift? I, you know, we'll never know, but I do know that there are many, many, many of us walking the earth that have probably had a near-death experience and came back with these gifts that we can't account for because nobody's put the pieces together. Yes, that's and right. So, so your research that that you're doing answers so many questions. And you we mentioned can make sense out of it. <laughs> well, I hope so. I, I hope people realize that uh, a near death experience is not necessarily a one time event, but it it can bring back you can bring back from that visit to the other side all kinds of psychic or artistic uh, gifts that uh, that you never you never had uh, access to before. You had mentioned one thing about Merlin was that he had uh, given a, a, a fellow pastor um, a, 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 a vision of some sort. Maybe you could tell that story. Um, a pastor came from, well, actually it was an elder in a, in a church. He came from Moss Point, Mississippi, and came all the way to Rapid City to be there at the Air Force Base or um, something, you know, whatever he does. And somehow, um, I believe, I had known him for many years, and he had contacted me before he came, and I told him, I said, while you're here, if you can make time and go visit with Merlin, get yourself over there. It's not, um, it, it, it's an encounter that you won't want to miss. So he did, he found time to... Um, get over there. Merlin <laughs> did accommodate and was so gracious with sharing his time. He took him, uh, Merlin took him into the woods behind, up on a hill behind his log cabin and asked him, what do you want? And he said, I don't believe in visions and dreams. I want to have a vision myself. And they sat there, Merlin, as he generally does, he asked a prayer, and um, 
they sat there in silence for a few moments. And I guess um, Tony probably sat there with his eyes closed. Um, and Merlin, of course, sat there next to him just in in quiet, in solitude. Um, later, Tony opened his eyes and said, oh, my goodness, I still see it. So he was having a vision as he was quiet and in solitude, but opened his eyes, and he was still seeing what he was seeing while his eyes were closed. Mm. So he was having, what he was seeing was this uh, triangle, diamond-shaped, iridescent, geometric form in front of his face in the air and it was turning, turning, turning and every time it turned it went into a different picture. So one turn he saw a bear, one turn he saw an eagle, one turn he saw a child and then one turn he saw a very, very ancient, very ancient old man with long hair, glowing eyes, and very peaceful, serene face, heavily wrinkled. And Merlin, he's describing what he's seeing, and Merlin told him, you are, are Native American? And Tony said, no, I'm, my family is European. We're not Native American. And he said, what you're seeing actually is the symbolism of the four directions. Um, he said, I don't know why it would come to uh, an Anglo-Saxon, you know, unless there is really something there for you and something for you to explore and learn about yourself that you did not know. And that there are powers um, that, and abilities that come with given awareness to these type of visions. And so Tony was, you know, of course, very intrigued. He was writing all the time, taking notes. And Merlin said, put your, put the pad down. He said, everything that you're seeing here and experiencing needs to be integrated in your heart and your soul. Put the pad down. Stop writing. Let, let your whole self integrate what's happening and get rid of the pencil for a while. In a year or so, come back and write what you've learned. But nobody cares about the story. Write what you've learned. That's what they really want to know. It's what did you learn, not how did you get it. So he did. He put his pencil and pad away, and two deer came on the trail that was right at their feet. And they passed so closely that... um, and they paused right, the two deer, the, a mother and a doe, paused right in front of Merlin and Tony and looked at them. And the deer spoke to Merlin and said, good morning. And Merlin said, good morning, darling. You are beautiful as always. And walked on. Tony sat there <laughs> <laughs> feeling like I need to rub my eyes, you know. <laughs> I I just come from Mississippi. I'm in the Air Force. This is not <laughs> this is not grounded, factual, regular stuff, 
you know, he could handle the vision, but when the deer came along, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of pushed him over the edge. <laughs> oh, goodness. Needless to say, Tony did eventually, he stayed in Rapid City two or three months. Um, he did eventually go back to his church in Moss Point, Mississippi, and he did begin to bring ministry to the people there that was way deeper, much richer, and much more authentic than he had ever been able to do before. Definitely not shallow. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Uh, you don't have to have a near-death experience, uh, but I think almost everyone at some time in their life uh, will have s- some inkling or their own personal vision or something, some communication from the other side that is su- such an eye-opener. And as I said in my introduction, you just have to be ready for it. You have to uh, anticipate the unexpected in your life because it will teach you so much more than the everyday routine uh, that we go through. Yeah, uh, have you had anything else in the last okay. five minutes we've got, Janice? Um, I, I know, I well, know the story about the birth rock. I, 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 um, I don't know if we oh, have time yeah. for that one or not. I don't, I don't know if we have time for that as well. Um, how about just a quick update on portals? We've talked about the portals before. Can I do that? Oh, one? Absolutely, absolutely, and we'll have okay. you back for some more stories about Merlin on another show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, in a previous show, we talked a little bit about portals, and the the Bradshaw Ranch here in in the vortex mecca of Sedona, Arizona. Um, it it became such a known paranormal area of activity in the early nineties. It was featured on TV shows, you know, sightings and all of this stuff, and entertained by many, many other investigations. The interdimensional activity was significant enough that the United States government was prepared to acquire this property, okay? At that time, Linda Bradshaw lived there, and she continued to write her experiences, and then somebody told her she needed to start writing a book, and so she did. Now back then, um, she in the in the early ni- late eighties, early nineties, Linda did not have a digital camera. She had a thirty-five millimeter camera. So all of her pictures in this book are off of film camera. Um, she has photos of the portal and other topics of interest in this whole paranormal um, arena. The property there is locked. And a sign reading U.S. property uh, trespassers will be punished to the fullest extent of the law is on that gate. And that's a little bit unusual with three padlocks, okay? Wow. Um, so a, a lot of people still go out there and they sit next to the barbed wire fence. And they've also, they go out there at night as well and they've reported many anam- anomalies. Uh, mm-hmm. In particular, one of healing, and it's healing of explained and unexplained traumas to the mind and body. Um, Linda's book is called Merging Dimension, The Opening Portals of Sedona, 1995. And um, I have not seen her book, but for your listeners who have an interest, 
her book might be supportive for their interest. Um, after One all, the- you know, all of these things connect together. I think near-death experience would be similar to the comings and goings through a portal. And that's why I think it might be of interest to your readers <laughs> or to your listeners. It could be when when the soul leaves the body, uh, so many different things can happen. The, there are uh, uh, reports of people just being in the same room as their body. There are reports of others flying through space. Uh, Carl Jung had a had may have entered a portal when he had his near death experience, and he was way out off the Earth, looking down at it like an astronaut. So uh, you yeah. you may be you may be right about that, Janice. And Tesla, I'm not sure uh, how his near-death experience happened. I have read that when he was a young boy of four or five years old, he had a near-death experience and uh, came back from that near-death experience telling people of these things that happened to him. So yes, he, incredible he, uh, he, he nearly drowned, I think, was, the, oh, okay. was his story. Well, Janice, I think we're out of time. Unfortunately, uh, these shows go so quickly when you're when you're here uh, on the air with me. Um, if anyone uh, wants to get in touch with Janice, um, they should uh, email me here at NDE Radio, that website at Talk Zone, and I will forward uh, any emails to her. I want to thank you, Janice, for um, for this fascinating discussion. We will continue it again at a at a later date. And if the listeners would like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS and uh, our upcoming convention in uh, the, the rain-drenched San Antonio, check out our website, iands.org, and tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.